We're at the TCA, the Truckload Carriers Association's 81st annual conference in Las Vegas at the Wynn Hotel, talking to small and mid-sized fleets about driver retention, autonomous technology, best practices, and retention. Yeah, well, all of these kinds of excellent talking points that can, we can just drive deep into. And we are here with correspondent Ashley Coker. Editor of truckloadindexes.com. Great to have you here, Ashley. Expert, expert on the TCA. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, so um, we all, you know, we've been here for a couple of days now. We've been going to panels. We've been, you know, meeting some of the people that we've been working with on stories at Freightwaves and, and truckloadindexes.com, um, you know, hearing from experts, talking to, you know, listening to the, with the people that sort of work for the organization itself, but also the membership. Um, and, you know, why don't we just kind of like start diving into all the, the you know, the themes of the week so far. Well, I think uh, one of the big things, it's great to be here with you guys, uh, the 81st one. I don't know when that means that they began in the 1930s. It might have been cool to start then, but boy, is it cool to hop in with you guys now, this turning point in the industry. Uh, you know, what if we like traveled back in time and went to the first one? It's <laughs> like in Las Vegas. It wouldn't be in Las Vegas. It would have been in the 1930s. So, I mean, whatever. There's no Las Vegas in the 30s. This is cooler. Let's face it. Great to be here with you. One of the talking points that I'm seeing, of course, we could talk a lot about data. We do all the time. We talk about your weekly market playbook. But this is a bonus episode. And one of the things that I feel like just is rich and resonant and I'm not, I'm hopeful, I'm going to say not unsolvable, is this driver retention issue. Or you could say turnover, or you could say it's not really real. Whatever you want to call it, there's some kind of issue, and people are talking about it, and they are talking about it a lot right yeah, here. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's, it looks different for every different kind of fleet. It looks different for, right. you know, whether you're a large fleet or a small fleet, whether you're over the road or a regional, you know, whether you get your people home or not your team or solo all the every single way that you can slice and dice a fleet has some kind of impact on um, what kind of driver you know ends up performing best and being happy at that fleet yeah uh, so we realize that we are talking to a lot of different uh, constituencies but we're going to try to talk about the industry as a whole. And as a whole, uh, they say that there is a driver shortage. It seems like it's a real thing, but first of all, JP, is it just a gigantic conspiracy theory? Um, I, so I'm of the mind that there isn't a true driver shortage. Um, with, with capacity as loose as it is right now, with freight being moved at rates that are so low that they're actually unsustainable if you look at the cost of operating a truck. Um, I think that really what the driver shortage is, is the ATA you know, observing the fact that it's very difficult for extremely large enterprise carriers to retain their drivers for a variety of reasons. Could be culture, could be working conditions, could be pay, could just be the simple fact that they that once you get a few years of experience, you can get a much you know better work environment for the same amount of money somewhere else. Um, so I don't think I think ultimately the conspiracy theory part of it is that the ATA is pushing the driver shortage in order to open up the trucking industry to more vulnerable, easily controlled, and exploitable low wage workforces like young people, like immigrants, like whomever, you know, 
Um, and so True. I think, I think you're opening up a lot of cans of worms right there. I think there. that's kind of what it's about for me. I think that, you know, there okay. are other perverse incentives that, you know, for example, recruiting departments get compensated on how many people they bring in per month. Oh, yeah. How long they stay, et cetera. So for me, you know, retention is very much an issue. An overall structural driver shortage, to me, the data doesn't support it. Well, one question that arises to me as you're talking, and I'm just going to let it hang for a minute, but it's almost like, does this have to do with the I wonder of the fragmentation of the industry itself yes. and how data is trying to pull it all together in certain ways, but it can't solve all the world's problems, so to speak. I think that's that's actually something that the TCA is working on really well. Because if you oh. look at the size of the fleet, that's really their bread and butter. And the way that they've tried to create these programs where fleets share operational and financial data together for sort of for mutual benefit, hmm. um, that they're really trying to overcome the disadvantages that small players have in a fragmented market. I mean, Ashley, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that what TCA is doing in terms of pushing data to help everyone is a really good step at unifying fleets together instead of helping them compete with each other. And I think when you go back to conspiracy theories and is the driver short of drill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, (laughs) I think that there are a few nuggets of reality in your conspiracy, JP. I think that some of them are not... Uh, that well thought out. The I think CIA that, killed Kennedy. <laughs> I think that uh, for the most part, everyone's in it for themselves, but they haven't thought about it that hard. Um, I like that you point that out. I like that you point that out because, you know, we've heard about like some places seem to have kind of a secret sauce kind of worked out. And yet, well, if you have a secret sauce worked out and you're having you're not having high driver turnover, why would you, you know, want to share that with the rest of the industry? Right. So like, let's just be real, Chad. Say you own a fleet that's doing really, really well and you're not lacking drivers. So... This driver shortage is happening all around you, but you have your sweet number of drivers and your turnover is really low. You're like 20% turnover. You're doing great. Ooh, that'd Um, be great. Exactly. So say that that's your position. So you've managed to solve the driver shortage for yourself. (laughs) Why would you want those around you to also have the same amount of drivers because you know that that would push rates down? Ooh. We should keep in mind that um, the percentage of revenue spent on recruiting and retention is can, can be like 12% of revenue for, for truckload carriers. So I, you, I didn't know it was if, that, but I, I know that per driver, it can be very expensive. And then, and then um, $20,000. Wages are an additional you know, 31 to 35% roughly. Is that, is that right, Ashley? Um, so, you know, if you get, if you, if you can squeeze that 12% down to 4%, I mean, all of a sudden, your oh. your OR looks totally different. Right. I think that's what one, one of the reasons we're talking about it. You know, we know that, like, okay, LTL, a little bit of it. Well, big different animal. We know that they are in the single digits of driver turnover, but they get to go home, and they, they, they kind of have a different rate of pay. The thing about LTL, too, is that yeah. um, you, you've either got, you know, places like Old Dominion or FedEx – that are you know using non-unionized people and paying them a ton of money, or a ton of money, or you have people like UPS, YRC, unionized, ArcVest, which are all unionized, and of course a unionized <laughs> shop is going to have extremely low turnover compared to any normal trucking company. Different animal, different animal. Good points. Uh, well said. Uh, but you have your WalMarts that are also 
apparently in single digits in turnover, pay their drivers really well. They know their reins and their 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 uh, their routes really well. Like, but but is that like almost? Uh, and uh, bless you. Is that almost an unachievable kind of scalable type of thing that only a Walmart and this, you know, like high volume, low margin? It's, kind of it's weird that people are surprised that Walmart has an excellent driver fleet. I think because of, that they're the creme de la creme. Uh, yes, yeah, so because of widely perpetuated classist stereotypes about you know Walmartians, the people who shop at Walmart, you know, the, the sort of mistreated associates who work in the stores. Right. <laughs> The fact that Walmart is actually a completely revolutionary and leading edge supply chain operation. Absolutely, um, we they, do forget that. To do with you know bringing global goods into the tiniest corners of America and maintain you maintain margins on very cheap you know products, all has to do with the leanness and meanness and efficiency of their transportation logistics operation and their supply chain. So. It really must. And, you know, now that you mention it, I, I, I want to look into, Let please remind me to do this, I want to look into Aldi because they, they're in the same game. Interesting. You know, yeah. they're in the same game. We never talk about them. But anyway, Walmart is doing that thing. Okay, so everybody else. Everybody else. Is the other thing about Walmart? Okay, pay, okay. pay a lot. It's line haul. It's regular. It's dedicated. It's yep. people back at home multiple times a week. You know, they they have they can be very choosy on safety record. You know, uh, drug testing. Drug testing. Good point. Background checks. They, they, yep. they they're a very large multi 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 billion dollar company that is very afraid of. Most, get sued a lot. most of the people here at TCA nowhere near the scalability of Walmart. No, no, no. They are the in the United States. Yes, they are uh, going to be small cover, to mid-sized, a few large. You just want to keep going on about Walmart, they right? They cover 90% now. Okay. of their transportation costs. Yeah. Yeah, or their transportation needs in their own private fleet. So it's very, very different than you know, even large enterprise carriers that are you know, have shippers as customers. Inside, in the house. Whew. Okay. Well, deep breath. Uh, let's think about like uh, those who can't scale as high. Um, uh, it, what should they be focusing on? You guys, uh, you don't seem to be of the opinion that you can just pay them more. And I would say that in some business models, you probably can't. Um, what, 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 but do you just build a big happy culture? You just like you just like does a does a recruiter just say um, just make just make sure that all the promises that a recruiter makes are are are, are true? Is it just all about relationships? I mean, no. what what? Okay, I don't think that it's all about culture and relationships. I do think that pay plays a part. Just doesn't play the part that we think it pays. It plays. Um, yeah. I think that competitive pay is incredibly important. However, I think that once you've reached a level of competitive, you don't gain that much more but from going higher on pay as you would from creating the happy family culture or whatever it is because you reach a point of diminishing returns at some point when you're just paying people more because it doesn't matter how well you pay someone if you don't respect them and they feel that and they can get competitive pay and respect at a different fleet. So would your secret sauce then be um, a balance, I guess, between a good, good co communicative, happy family culture and you know, some kind of reasonable pay? I, I do that, think so. I yeah, think I mean, that's that probably true of like any job. It is. Yeah. Easier said than done. I yeah. think the and secret is for top level management. Okay. 
to think of their drivers as human beings <laughs> and think of how they would want their family to be treated and then channel that. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, it's one thing for a company to talk about a culture. Like, you know, I cover a lot of 3PLs and brokerages. They talk about culture. A lot of culture is really important. Oh, right. So turning that. But everyone's in the same building working together. So <laughs> it's like, how do you get that sense of culture to someone who you're sitting across the country every week? That's my, that's one of my, my big questions is like, is it not a part of the nature of the profession um, that these independent-minded uh, people uh, who are willing to be on the road for days, weeks at a time away from there—that well, is it—is is, is it not a strange thing to talk about company culture? I don't think so, because I would okay. argue—I would argue that drivers want to be connected and they want to contribute to their companies and they want to feel heard. And the re- the way that you get there, I think, is. When we look at, so Carrier's Edge and TCA do the best fleets contest, and part of that contest is driver surveys, and they just looked at 8,400 driver surveys, and something that they gleaned from that, because they asked a lot of questions to drivers about meetings, because if fleets make all the drivers come in for meetings, drivers don't like that. They don't like to have to be at a certain place at a certain time for a meeting when they could be making money. However, yeah, me either. Drivers really feel the lack of meetings if they just get rid of meetings because then they are not feeling connected to their company. So, drivers that work for companies that do things like Facebook Live or Zoom or go to meeting or whatever are significantly more satisfied than drivers at companies who have just done away with driver meetings. Um, here's an interesting point. So it ties in, and that that's good stuff. Um, and and it reminds me of this that a lot of drivers talk about how it's not okay. It, it's not just pay. It is overall. It's about pay. But what about consistent pay? What about why why do drivers who are just doing their damnedest good job that they can do weekend day in day out? But okay, so the economy lags. And so maybe maybe they're not as able to make as many shipments and as oh so because they're getting paid by the mile they're not going to get paid quite as much I'm sorry but when the economy lags and and I'm or any like almost any other person is on a salary or even paid hourly their pay doesn't necessarily right. suffer usually doesn't suffer we get paid the same why are drivers on the front line of what is happening with the economy, that does seem unfair. It's true, and I think that's a great point, but I also think it's okay. important to bring up that your salary also doesn't necessarily boom when the economy booms. Ooh, okay. And and so you think, dri- yeah, drivers do, but in the end you can only drive so many hours. It's true. I, I think it's a flawed model. I just wanted to bring up the counterpoint. And I do think also that it's unfair that both the carriers and the shippers sort of put all the pressure on the driver. Mm. You know, again, we were talking, you know, whether it's economic pressure or again, um, we were talking about drivers feeling supported. You know, and it actually, uh, to your point, it totally makes sense to me that you we should, you know, carriers should leverage telecommunications technology like video conferencing. I mean, people talk about like, oh, let's have the office workers work, work remotely. Well, what about all the people who are already working remotely? Like, why shouldn't they have the benefits of this technology? And I think, like, one of the things... Well, what, like, well they do, don't they? They don't have... The, I, mean, well, I mean, we're talking about, like, instilling a company culture where 
you get instant real feedback in front of your you know colleagues and then you can talk to your fleet manager you can talk to your dispatchers you can tell them about how it's going you don't feel like just every time there's an issue you know your your fleet doesn't have your back and you know it's your fault if something gets messed up with the receiver or something like that Okay. Um, well, all of these are interesting talking points, and it's not like we're trying to solve the world's problems, but um, we are trying to bring up a few of them and have some reasonable responses. I'm usually trying to solve the world's problems, Chad. <laughs> well, we got to aim high, um, but we'll, we'll see where we can uh, end up landing. And uh, here's let's muddy the waters a little bit more for you, Ashley. I was just thinking, I was on a panel. I mean, I was not on a panel. I was I was observing a panel uh, where you know uh, Lana Betts, uh, the co-president of uh, of Driver IQ. Uh, Eric Fuller was on it, uh, and they were, you know, they were talking about um, you, just like, and also by the way, Tom Grogan, uh, chairman of Hirschback, was on it, and they they were just like trying to answer these questions of like, well, for all of the trying to drive a little, we got a little, a lot of media attention on like, let's give some veteran drivers um, some opportunities to drive, and, and where are they all, and 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 what about women, and what about the eighteen to twenty one year olds? And do you all have any answer? Do you all think that these are parts of the answer to the continuum and, and why or why not? I think that when trucking was cool in the 70s and 80s, it was perceived to be very macho. It was the domain of independent minded and self-reliant white men who, you know, were very physically capable. So let's make trucking cool again. Politically conservative. And I, I think that's, that sort of cultural memory at this point is anachronistic. And I think that uh, trucking is actually far more diverse, at least ethnically, than uh, if not, you know, um, on a gender basis. Yeah, that's interesting. Credit for it. Yeah. Of six, there are a lot of Latino people, Eastern Europeans, black people, lots of different kinds of people drive trucks. And I think to make trucking cool again, we have to come up with a contemporary image that is inclusive enough to show all the different kinds of people who stand something to gain by, you know, getting into this profession. Well, I wasn't even trying to think of like uh, the answering the question of what makes trucking, what can we could do to make trucking cool again. That seems to be like more, but but actually and realistically portraying the diversity that we do have and showing women in particular that they have what it takes to drive trucks. If they, if that's what they want to do, I think would go on with. As a self-proclaimed resident expert on women in the room. (laughs) Why are you the expert on women, Ashley? You know, I think it has to do with living as a woman. Okay. Um, Point taken. I'm pretty familiar (laughs) with the challenges of that. Um, Yep. (laughs) And the macho culture that you might have to be facing in certain respects. Correct. Yes. I think the whole world is a macho culture, but it definitely deepens a lot in trucking. Um, okay. I, I do think a lot of the answer is finding a way to show women other women who are doing the job. Yeah. Because if I'm driving down the road and I see a recruiting billboard for some trucking company, it's probably got a man on it. And it's probably a middle-aged man in his 50s or whatever. And yeah. I don't resonate with that. And as um, Carrier's Edge co-founder Mark Morell told me earlier today, every middle-aged Every middle-aged white man that wants to drive a truck is already driving a truck. <laughs> so yeah, nice. so let's 
and they and they, and they and they may not be uh, lasting uh, a lot a lot longer generationally speaking. I would just say that one of the takeaways that I heard from the panelists was that it's surprising how much it costs to recruit um, targeted groups, whether it's uh, has to do oh, with yeah, the governmental yeah. aspect. Um, or approach with veterans, right? Uh, yes, Eric Fuller. Eric Fuller was talking about how he, they have to hire um, a number of recruiters. I think as many as four right now for U.S. Express. Um, just, in, but it has proved to be, um, you know, somewhat remunerative. Even so though why is why is hiring or why is recruiting veterans so complicated? Uh, you you have to be able to deal with a lot of the government uh, government stuff. There's a whole different way. It's not it's not private. It's 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 dealing with the government and how they they approach things. And also, I think you go to different trade shows and conferences, and uh, just like you're just in a whole new n- new domain. Um, and I think uh, what Ashley just said about women it speaks volumes. Uh, a lot of their women drivers tend to team up with their husbands. That doesn't seem to be an answer. And 18 to 21 year olds, a lot of people just don't feel comfortable with whatever we want to say with that. Yet, let's throw one other aspect into the muddy muddied pool. Um, you know, now that we're getting more serious about drug testing, drug testing. Okay, so like (laughs) drug testing um, isn't uh, isn't just for um, people who want to pee into a cup anymore. It's now like for, you know, they're going to pull your hair out and test your and test that. Now, this is for very good reasons from a safety point of view, like from lower standards point of view. um, You know, like we're we're not going to. yeah, you, you, marijuana stays in the system longer than 48 hours, but opioids and many of the other drugs, most of the drugs, the seriously dangerous drugs that a lot of people are taking, um, are out within 48 hours, and they can um, ac- actually at least be traced with follicle, you know, the hair, the hair testing. Um, this seems to be a trend in the industry of what people are going to be looking for to screen out, um, you know, potentially dangerous people on our highways. I have a lot of big, complicated thoughts about this issue, Chad. Okay, big, complicated <laughs> thoughts. Um, I mean, from the one hand, yeah, I think 48 hours is too small of a window to be drug testing people. Um, I don't know that I think in my heart of hearts or whatever that hair testing is the way to go because it goes so far back. I don't think that we want to immediately exclude people who are in recovery of something because the trucking industry has long... Well, it depends on how long your hair is, I suppose. Right. I, I would. Yeah, yeah. you have like <laughs> hair that looks like it's grown for two years at least. That, uh, that sounds about right. I also haven't done any drugs. That's not what I'm saying. Right. No, but I'm just saying like I, actually that does bring to bear like how how long of a length of hair are they testing? Um, but uh, I- I- anyway, I-, I think that you know I, I don't know. I-, I feel like in a con- my my conservative safety point of mind wants to say that like yeah this this makes some sense uh and and i and i but the the problematic the point thing, of view every time the ata pushes something for safety it's really about something else they were in favor of the ELB mandate <laughs> okay. for safety even though we know that the hos as they're it's currently constructed does not actually increase safety, and in fact, that truck accidents. I know, I know. It's all that gonna, everything's going to be. Burden. It's not a conspiracy, dude. It's about no. I didn't say that. Burden on small and medium-sized fleets, and you know, 
forcing them out of the market and allowing the larger fleets to consolidate and get more market share and more pricing power. Okay, actually, you important. are getting a little conspiracy there. I think that it's important for me to add, before any of that gets misconstrued, that I'm not saying that we need people on Oxy driving down the highway. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. Okay, duly noted, for the record. <laughs> Actually, um, I guess, I guess uh, well, one of the things... Uh, there are some estimates showing that um, hair testing for marijuana will exclude um, more than 20% of the current driver fleet. So that's, you know, that's something that we have to grapple with. And that, I think, would radically, you know, the same people that um, know this data, because I've talked about it with them, mm-hmm. also are the ones, you know, whining about a driver shortage. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say that... Um, those who some some of those who advocate it is strange now that you put it that way that some of those who uh, most strongly advocate for hair follicle testing are worried about what it will lead to and suggest that it may be uh, as bad as my, my, the ELD mandate or something in terms of mandate, which was great for the large carriers right so the whole point is to reduce capacity and drive up rates wow okay well uh, I don't know that it's we're not about safety. Okay. All right. These are. This is interesting. This is what I, I feel like we're doing here. Is like what is is a lot of what we're we're discussing at the TCA. Is yeah, there are a lot of industry issues. I can't emphasize enough. Sort of the richness of the conversations, the diversity of the perspectives. Um, even even in the autonomous panel I was on that we didn't really talk about. There were OEMs. There were large fleets. There were small fleets that all had very different worries and concerns about this issue. Absolutely. Things and. Really, I, I just like. I think this was a great experience for the three of us, just being here and seeing the kind of, you know, the, the tapestry of the industry. It's and seeing all of the different sort of threads weaving through it, and the different kinds of players and the way that they see themselves in, in in the industry. It really elicits a lot of interesting topics. This is just one that we've had the opportunity to dive deep into. I love it. I, I find. Uh, that logistics is is actually fascinating from so many different points of view, whether it's e- economics or data or just supply chain, where, where, wherever you want to go, there's a lot of talking points. We're hitting them here, uh, coming to you from Las Vegas at the TCA 81st Conference, uh, and it's just been a blast. Great to have you on, Ashley. It's been fun. Thanks, TCA. Yes. Thanks, CCA. And we will see you in a few days. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What the Truck. Truck.